Welcome to the Upbeat Podcast, powered by CoachArt, a show that's dedicated to providing resources for families impacted by childhood chronic illness. For articles, videos, and show notes, visit our platform at theupbeat.coachart.org. Welcome, everybody, to the next episode of the Upbeat uh, Podcast, powered by CoachArt. I am CoachArt's executive director and co-host, Greg and I'm Roxanne, CoachArt's marketing director, and I'm also a parent of a child with cancer. And CoachArt is a nonprofit organization that provides free arts and athletics lessons to any child impacted by any chronic illness currently in LA, the Bay Area, and San Diego. Uh, our guest today is somebody who has been working with our program in a really exciting way, uh, Stephen Schneider, who was diagnosed with restrictive cardiomyopathy a rare and potentially fatal heart disease at age 11. At age 12, he received a new heart and his first computer at practically the same time, which is a story that he'll tell us. Uh, He used that computer to make videos, and today he's a professional videographer. Uh, This summer, uh, Stephen also led one of our coach art clubs, which was called How to Be a YouTuber, where he was an amazing mentor who shared his knowledge with coach art kids impacted by chronic illness and taught them how to uh, use video equipment and potentially be their own YouTubers. Uh, At age 19 now, Stephen is in good health. Uh, He has a growing business, and we are grateful to be able to talk with him about his experience. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Thank you, Greg and Roxanne. It's so great to just speak with you on the podcast today. We're so excited to hear more about your story. Can you tell us, leading up to your diagnosis, what symptoms and physical limitations did you experience as a result of your illness? So when, when I was 11, I had a doctor's appointment, and eventually uh, my, my doctor said there were heart palpitations and that, that I couldn't run as far as any other child could. So I would say run like 30 feet and it'd feel like I'd just run a mile. That was, that was the first symptom. Then they sent me to a specialist and, and then I was diagnosed and, and that's when it, that was the peak of my restrictions. I could not move really. Wow. It, it was just like too exhausting. Wow. What other, um, what led you to the cardiologist? Leading up to the cardiologist, I had a well child checkup uh, where, where the doctor just kept the stethoscope on my chest for way too long, said something was up and referred me to a specialist. Uh, the specialist diagnosed me and sent me to a hospital where they could take care of me. And the people there said, basically, I need a heart transplant and there's no way around it. And so then that sort of leads to the amazing connection in how we met you. Um, Coach Art's chief opportunity officer, uh, Patricia, was at that time the CEO of Make-A-Wish in the Bay Area. And so we've heard that the way that you received your wish uh, was fairly dramatic. Can you take us back to that day and uh, talk us through when you were originally supposed to receive your wish? Yeah. So um, there, there were a few options I had when choosing my wish because I, I couldn't travel. So it limited what I was able to do. I decided to ask for a computer because I just thought it was fun to make videos for, for my friends. Uh, so that's what I asked for. I asked for a computer. Now, unfortunately, my caregiver, or I guess my, my wish grantor was sick uh, at the time that she was supposed to deliver my computer. So she didn't want to infect me or I wouldn't be able to get my heart transplant if they called me. I got the call one day, and I still hadn't had my wish granted. So she agreed to meet up with us in a Denny's parking lot on the way to the hospital. And, and actually, Patricia recalls coordinating that. 
And it's such a bizarre story of how I got my first computer, but it's mine. And I'm so thankful. Yeah, that's amazing. And so I understand that that computer that you received from Make-A-Wish sort of led to your career in a way that's similar in a lot of ways to what uh, CoachArt does with instilling different passions for different recreational activities. Can you share that story with us? Yeah. So like I said, before I was just messing around on my parents' laptops, making fun slideshows for my friends. But then when I got my computer, I, I felt kind of this urge to make more than more than just like slideshows. So I, I started making kind of short films, like skit comedy with my friends. I remember one was called Stephen's Ultimate News Bloopers, where I just faked being a news anchor and messing up. And it was the most fun thing ever. And eventually, I, I just made a ton of these. I built up a huge, I guess, portfolio of content. And none of it was like the best quality, but it gave me experience knowing how to edit video, how to shoot videos. And seven years later, it's turned into my career. And now I do it seriously. That's amazing. And so was YouTube, I, I can't remember the chronology, but when did YouTube come around? Was it fairly new when you were doing that or had it been around for a while? Um, how, how did you sort of start your first YouTube channel? So I started my first YouTube channel in 2013. Uh, YouTube was about eight years old at the time. It, it wasn't structured or at all. It was just me posting those videos I was making for fun. Uh, and, and it didn't get anywhere, but I was okay with that because that, that wasn't my intent. I just wanted to share, share what I was making with my friends who all came to support me during my heart transplant. And in fact, there was one video, I made a music video, uh, to a Taylor Swift song, just to, just kind of for, for my hospital staff, uh, just, just as a fun thing. And that, and that along with all these other videos really got the ball rolling in terms of making a YouTube channel. And eventually I did start other YouTube channels. Uh, now I'm at one where I feel like I have a future. But there were a lot of YouTube channels in the like that got me to the point where I am now. That's cool, and that's a good lesson for uh, people who are starting out. What a great uh, distraction to keep your mind off of your fears and um, keep your your head distracted as you're going through all those um, medical procedures. Mm -hmm. um, can Can you tell us uh, what gave you strength and faith to get you through that time? Well. It, it was, and I'm not going to lie, it was that computer. The whole drive to the hospital, I just spent setting up the computer. And, and then when we got there to the hospital for the heart transplant, I, just, I was about to get out of the car. And I was like, wait, what? We're here already? We're here? And it's like a two-hour drive. I just spent the whole time having fun, completely forgetting about the, the surgery that was coming up. And I'm so thankful for that. That's amazing. And something that we've talked to different parents of, of kids with chronic illnesses about ways that they approach big events in terms of treatment or surgeries. Uh, and I've never heard any of the parents talk about in the moment right before doing something where you just dive in that much to focusing on one thing that you're really excited about. I wonder if that's something that would work for other parents and other families. Is, is that something that you think you would recommend? I think I, think I would recommend that. Yeah, of course, it depends on the child, but um, generally distractions seem to help in, in really stressful times. I know a lot of parents bring like toys on planes for their children to play with so they're not uh, being disruptive. And it, it's like that, there was like that for me with my computer. 
I, I wasn't asking a ton of questions like I normally do. I wasn't complaining. It, I was, I guess more or less, I was peaceful and it made everything easier for everyone. That's great. And then uh, how has your diagnosis and illness affected you as an adult? So I, I still have to take medications, of course. So that's affecting me daily. I do have certain restrictions, like I can't smoke or get tattoos, which I have no intentions to. Um, and then, and then a few other things. Uh, but in terms of like physical restrictions, my doctors say I can do whatever I want so long as I'm not pushing myself, which I think it's really great that they trust in me. Do you think you use any of the sort of coping and resiliency skills that you learned going through what you went through as a child today with things related to your illness or not related to your illness? I do. I know that the, my heart transplant maybe the most scary experience of my life. So it, it's now that I had that in my past, I can, and it's behind me, I can think uh, this is nothing as bad as what I went through and, and I'm through it. So it doesn't, it, it doesn't, I don't know. It, it brings up sad memories of that time, but it's, it's good because I know nothing will ever surpass that level of stress I was going through. What advice do you have uh, for kids that are facing similar situations if they have a scary surgery or a big procedure coming up? Well, you can take your emotions that you're feeling, all that sadness or that maybe that anger or that worry and nervousness, and you can use it as creative fuel is what I like to do. So like anytime I'm mad at something, I take that energy and I edit a video really, really fast, you know? Or if I'm sad, okay, I'll write a song about it, you know? So I, I, I use my creativity as an outlet for how I'm feeling and to let others know that this is what I'm going through. Yeah, that's that's great advice. When my daughter was receiving chemo, we um, kept a, a blog, an online journal of mm -hmm. her feelings and her emotions. And I would just walk away and let her type for a couple of minutes and then go back and read it. And I, I felt like that was a really good way to understand her emotions, um, because as her parent too, I was watching her go through it and I was empathizing, but only to a degree um, as her mother, you know, I, I wasn't experiencing it and I wasn't six years old and, and dealing with other peers. Um, so that's really great advice to just, you know, use creativity as an outlet. What about seeing you this summer with the kids? It was so obvious what a role model you were to them and that you had overcome something similar and, and gone on to use your passion as, as your career. When you were a kid, do you feel like you had any role models who had gone through exactly what you went through or things that were similar and um, that, that played a role in your life? I, I had one, but I didn't see him that often. There, there was one man who had a heart transplant as well, and he also played guitar, much like I do. So he was, he was kind of my only person I could relate to. Uh, but then as I started to be on the internet more often, I found other people with stories similar to mine. So what other um, advice would you have to parents um, that are listening right now on, on ways to communicate with their children and, um, you know, better empathizing skills? Okay, empathizing, I think, I think empathy is good, but it, it depends on the child. Like if, since, since it's a parent, the parents get all the information. Maybe the kid is is not knowledgeable of everything that's going on, and it depends on the child. I'm I'm someone who likes to know absolutely everything. I I look at my blood work while it's happening. I 
I asked the doctors, uh, what's that? And what's that? And what's this? But I know not all kids are like that. So I guess it's a matter of understanding the child and understanding how they cope with their with their stressful experience. How were your parents supportive and there for you specifically? Well, one thing I'll say is my parents promised we would get a dog after my heart transplant. So I had that to look forward to. And, and then there, there were other things. Um, my parents shared the word. Like they, they got all the support they could because they have friends who have friends. They're, they're, they're kind of the ones who shared about my condition because I didn't feel like talking about it ever because I was in the middle of it. But, but my parents were kind of there to, to relay information to others. And I found that very helpful. How did they talk to you about it? You mentioned being somebody who loves information. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what were your conversations with your, with your parents like when you were 11 and going through it? So my parents invited me into the room during the, the, the consultation where I found out exactly what I had. Like they, they brought us in one of those, those rooms, those isolation rooms, and they said, Stephen, you have restrictive cardiomyopathy. And that's exactly, and then they explained exactly what it was. And I was, I was there, I was understanding it, but, but I know not all kids are like that. See, I, I, I looked at it kind of from an academic perspective, as in I don't want to associate myself with it. I just want to learn more about it. And, and I feel like knowledge is power for me. So actually, after I found out exactly what the condition was, I started researching the heart. Like I wanted to be a cardiologist. I wanted to, to know everything there is to know about that muscle. And, and that, that was my coping mechanism. And my parents didn't really withhold any information, but that's because of how I am. So one thing we hear from parents is you know, the, the flip side of that, which is when you go on the internet to try to learn information, you can come across all kinds of misinformation or really scary possible outcomes in your quest for helpful information. How did you filter out the things that were emotionally unhelpful to come across? Well, first and foremost, I look out for bias. Anytime I see an adverb or any word that ends in L-Y, I tend not to take it too seriously or take it with a grain of salt. And if they present statistics, then I'll make sure they're from a reputable source. It's part of my background in journalism in high school that that helps me avoid misinformation. So honestly, I I would say you can use the internet. Just know that there is misinformation and there could be conflicting statistics and you want to make sure that you have reliable sources. I wanted to go back to sort of a flip side of an earlier question you know, talking about uh, coping mechanisms that you learned as a child from what you went through that you now use, are there any coping mechanisms that you have learned as an adult that you wish you were more aware of as a kid and that you think other kids might be able to use that we haven't talked about? Yeah, I, I have, or I definitely learned some new coping mechanisms, like, like one I found to be very helpful is meditation. It, it doesn't even have to be like the full-fledged you know, sitting very quietly in a room with your legs crossed, even even just peacefully sitting there and acknowledging what's going on and coming to terms with it is one that I've used recently because my job has a lot of stress with deadlines and and travel sometimes. It's it gets stressful. So meditation is one that I've picked up. What age did you start meditating? I wanna say around the time I started uh, my business. So that would be about two years ago. 
Interesting. And so that's something where dealing with the stress of the business, do you think meditation would have been helpful for you to try in some way, shape or form as an 11 year old? I think it would have, uh, but I, I did have conflicting medical conditions like ADHD where my brain was going all over the place. I had Tourette's where I could literally not sit still. Uh, so maybe it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been the most helpful at the time, but I wish I knew the, the principles behind it. Coming to terms with what's happening and how, how the outcomes might be. And you mentioned thinking about meditation, the concepts really broadly. You know, I've heard some of the concepts of meditation be described as sort of intense focus as being yeah. a form of being of, of meditation. So maybe in some way, this, the anecdote that you told about being so uh, sort of enveloped in, in figuring out your new computer on the way to your surgery was in, in a way its own form of meditation. It really was. It, it was taking my mind off things. It was, it was also distracting, you know? So, so I, I, I think, yeah, there was a lot of focus in that, in that two hour car drive, I just focused on the computer and it was, it was very calming, kind of relaxing, considering all the stressful things going on in my life. I have in my notes here that you stayed at Ronald McDonald House. Can, yep, you, tell us a, can you tell us a little bit about um, your experience at Ronald McDonald House and um, how they were able to help you through this difficult time? Yeah, Ronald McDonald House, that, that was actually, it, it wasn't just a place to stay for me. It, it was a community. They have like building-wide events. Uh, we, we had the San Jose earthquakes come up and play with us on, on the field one day. That was an awesome time. But I met other children who were going through similar experiences as me. And, and that sense of community, like it, it seems to have that condition that I had, but it was nice to know that I wasn't alone that other people knew my struggle. That's great. And um, were there any other organizations that you used uh, during your time? So uh, we did use Children's Organ Transplant Association. I think that's the name of it. CODA is what we call it. It's basically a fund, much like uh, a GoFundMe or, a, or, or like a Kickstarter for organ transplants. So I, I had family and friends donating money to cover my medical expenses related to my transplant. So that, that covers travel and, and medications and doctor's appointments. And, and it's, uh, it was very helpful financially too. That's wonderful. I've actually never heard of that before. What a great resource to know. So Stephen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. You had so many helpful stories and tips. One of them that's going to stick with me that I don't think we've heard uh, before on the podcast is the idea of channeling the emotions that you're going through into a creative force, which I think is such a powerful idea um, and, and a really great suggestion. Speaking of which, uh, my understanding is that you recently created um, a video for Make-A-Wish's upcoming mm -hmm. anniversary. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that video and where people can find it? I did. So back in April of this year, Make-A-Wish Bay Area was reaching out to former get, uh, Wish recipients, uh, just asking them what their experience was like with Make-A-Wish. So I, I received those questions. And instead of just answering that email, I decided to make a video about it, uh, make, make a short film 
that, that as, as kind of a thank you, because when you think about it, they are the ones who are responsible for starting my career. They gave me the tool that I needed to start doing what I now do for a living. And I wanted to make a short film to thank them for that. Uh, I sent it to them. They absolutely loved it. And it's actually going out to short, short film festivals now. And, and you can find it on my website, which is stephenmakesvideos.com. Stephen is with the PH, makesvideos.com. And then on my YouTube channel, which is Stephen Makes Videos. You just search for it. It'll pop right up. You can scroll down to My First Computer. That's the name of the film. Cool. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. And we encourage folks to go check out some of that creative work that has come out of Stephen's process and check out uh, that video and all of the other content that he creates. So uh, thank you so much. And um, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And thanks for everything that you've done for Coach Art Kids. You can find more content like this at theupbeat.coachart.org, where we have blog posts, podcasts, and YouTube clips, as well as a Facebook group that you can join and share your own helpful advice with other families who are dealing with social and emotional questions about kids going through chronic illness. So we hope to see you there. Thanks so much. Thank you.